You never cease to surprise me, reddish pink person. I thought that recording room you were in exploded space. You know, what can I say? I cast hard. You actually saved me, you know. It was a podcast emerald, wasn't it? But there's no way you could have activated the podcast control using an emerald that's fake. So, there's more to you than just talking with me. What are you, anyway? What you hear is what you get. Just someone that loves talking. Talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. I see. But you know, I must let you talk. Your podcasting days are coming to a start. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sonic, the podcast about the world's most famous hedgehog. Today we're wrapping up our three-part discussion on Sonic Adventure 2 by addressing the elephant in the room, should you choose to view it that way. Uh, the game's plot and narrative and cutscenes and execution and the fact that it's more of a narrative-focused game even compared to Sonic Adventure 1. Uh, I'm Krep. I'm joined today, as always, by my lovely friend Mitt. Hi, I'm also here. We're both here. And... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of different ways we could tackle this to start. Yeah. I kind of just want to get out there and say that, like, Sonic Adventure 2's story has a lot of good going for it that I wouldn't say it doesn't get recognized often enough, but from the kinds of people who are who are frequently criticizing Sonic Adventure 2, they tend to gloss over the the nice aspects, the little bits of well-executed tension, uh, somewhat good or or passable or enjoyable voice direction, line reading. These these pits pits these bits tend to get uh, to get lost in the conversation. I feel. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think Sonic Adventure 2 is probably some of the best performances of the given voice cast. Um, that was the first time I forget who voiced Knuckles, but I know that it was a different voice actor between SA one and two. Uh, Scott Dreyer um, in SA two right. and Heroes. Okay, yeah. Um, and he's got a, a lot more of like a chiller kind of take on Knuckles compared to SA one. Um, uh, Ryan Drummond does a really good job. Um, I forget if I've voiced it on the past couple episodes, but like revisiting some of the cutscenes he does like a really good and like nuanced take which i really enjoy and it makes me excited that he could return to the role yeah um, he was given really good voice direction in sa2 that i think gets kind of slept on right i think people tend to mix it up with the fact that some other characters didn't get as good voice direction or had uh, less experienced voice actors um in the case of like Tails, Amy, or the obvious standouts. Uh, Rouge has some awkward moments, but for the most part, her voice actor, whose name I don't remember, fills the role fine in SA2. Mm. It's it's really Sonic Shadow and Eggman, uh, Ryan Drummond, Dean Bristow, and uh, I knew the voice, I knew the name of uh, Shadow's voice actor for SA2 and Heroes at one point, but I can't remember it offhand. Uh, but those three really steal the show. We should, let's let's get some facts up. 
so that way, so that way we have them handy, so we're not just not dropping names, because I, yeah. I think we both find that uh, an important thing. But yeah, you are right about um, specifically Shadow. Uh, his take, like we're just kind of talking about voice direction now, and not really getting into the meat of, <laughs> we'll of get this. There. We always yeah, get, we'll there. get there. His Shadow's portrayal, which is driven home by his um by his voice direction in SA two, is a lot different from how he is in every other game which I think makes him considerably more interesting as a character. Yeah, I would go as far as saying it's Shadow's voice in SA2, uh, given by David Humphrey, thank you, yeah. IMDB, um, is like soft, even. He has a very soft voice compared to the voice direction other actors would get for portraying Shadow, especially especially Shadow's voice actor from uh, Free Riders onward to the, to the current day, I, th I think. Mm -hmm. I think he's been doing Shadow's voice up through Team Sonic Heroes, but I should double check that also. Pull up more facts. But I, I really enjoyed David Humphrey's performance. Uh, it's like you were saying about Ryan Drummond. It feels very nuanced in game. Yeah. Uh, that softness is definitely part of it. It makes his voice, even though it's kind of, kind of raspy and light in a way that's uh, unnatural for most people, uh, the the softness kind of brings it down to earth a little more and makes it more more believable a performance yeah it's a very like he's very cocky in sa2 compared to all of the later games where he's just kind of aloof oh he's yeah. very like cocky and pompous and it kind of rocks yeah i agree there's a like, go ahead I was going to say that there's there's a degree of cockiness in a lot of characters' voices in SA2 and Heroes that uh, kind of gets lost in that era following it where they picked up the four kids' voice cast and some others. Yeah. It's not enough to ruin the performances of those games, but in conjunction with a lot of other problems, it, it's enough to ruin the performances in those games. Yeah. I, I think it kind of stuck around into Heroes, um, and that's pretty much as far as it went, besides, like, Sonic Battle, where it was just grunts. Um, it always reminds me that uh, Ryan Drummond's, like, compressed voice clips for Sonic and Sonic Battle always sounded really close to, at uh, time to look at more voice actors, uh, Goku's voice actor from Funimation. Huh. I could see that. Especially especially the, the, uh, the pre-battle voice clip, Time to party always sounded really Goku to me. I think the pitch got lowered a bit when they were they were moved to uh to the Game Boy Advance. Mm. Compressed like that. Yeah, sounds a lot like Sean Schemmel to me. Yeah, understandable. Uh for reference, Kirk Thornton is the one who has been doing Shadow since Free Riders. Apparently he's been doing it for every game uh in English localization since Free Riders. It took him a while to find any footing, I think, with the character. Uh, at least any footing that was, like, good. But mm -mm. it's fine. I feel like Shadow's never had a bad voice actor, at least. Yeah, I think he's had less than desirable voice direction. Yes. 
I um, I've come around a lot on Jason Griffith's shadow in recent years, especially especially times that he's pulled it out uh, outside of his contract for like yeah. fan stuff. Um, maybe it's just that he does it better these days. Uh, it could also just like you were saying come down to voice direction, but like he sounds all right. Uh, it's been a while since he sounded really forced as Shadow. Yeah. I think he's found like a different kind of comfort with the with the character. Yeah, it's it's tough for me to say because like from what I've heard recently of Jason, I feel like the the three eras of like Shadow voice personality is like we probably should have talked about this last week. Um, <laughs> is he starts off really cocky, cocky and pompous which like just directly contrasts Sonic in an interesting way. And then they kind of start leaning into him being really serious. Mm-hmm. Very brooding. Um, yeah. And now in the newer games, he's just like comically aloof in a way that's just not, they're not really trying to make it interesting. It's mostly just a joke because I guess they don't have faith in Shadow's capacity to be an interesting character. Yeah. I mean... We've kind of talked about it before, how there's been a, a gradual transition to the characters becoming more two-dimensional in their in their writing and portrayal, but Shadow got hit the hardest, I think, yeah. because we've already had two-dimensional portrayals of Sonic before before he had like a solid voice cast and then a second solid voice cast and then a third. Yeah. It's a little and different. He got, hit, he got hit very quickly, too, especially because it's like... The whole amnesia thing basically strips him of his arc. Yeah. And he has to start all over. It's it's weird. I I would say that like the the Sonic X cast is a different kind of two dimensional from the most current cast. Oh agreed. Um they're they're two point five D. They're they're like <laughs> they're not as good as like the peak um in like Sonic Adventure 2, which is my personal peak for all of them, um, there's not really a ton of examples in between where I think there's like a nuance to their portrayals that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Heroes is definitely like they didn't really try to have any nuance to anything. They're just kind of there to be very exaggerated. Yeah. Like Sonic is always happy go lucky, Shadow is always brooding. Um, it works for Omega. They're so there to be there that they yeah. they like have very simplified character goals. Yeah, for sure. Now stick with me for this bit. I I was gonna try to uh, play off the two point five D distinction for a second and be like, oh, they're the this game of Sonic voice cast, and my brain reached to in order Yoshi's Story, which is not two point five D; it's just two D. <laughs> Uh, and then Kirby's 64, which I'm like, that's not a fair comparison. And then to um, uh, to Mischief Makers, which is also not a fair comparison. And then to Sonic Rush, which is... Mm, and then to Sonic Rivals, which, again, both those games are in the franchise. So I feel like I kind of lost the, the bit a bit. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely, there's definitely a 2.5D game out there that expresses how I feel about the 4Kids era voice cast. They're the Super Mario 3D Land of Sonic voice actors. Oh, that's right. I was going to say they're the Yoshi's crafted world of Sonic voice actors. Oh, boy, that might be a little too harsh. <laughs> I, I, as someone who hasn't played that game, it always looked very 
very serviceable and not a whole lot above. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's how my feelings on the on the four kids era voice cast kind of averages out. Like there are high points um, from select actors in select games. Like I enjoy specific scenes of Jason Griffith's portrayal of Sonic in Unleashed and in Black Knight and yeah. then kind of not really anywhere else. And then I enjoy uh, uh, some of. Oh, I don't remember Rouge's voice actor. Do you know? Because you always you're one of the few people I know who's like advocating for uh, her portrayal of the character. Let's uh, check the behind the voice actor page I have open. Mm hmm. Uh, her ver whoa, wow, really? Okay, her for her first voice actress was Lanny Manella, which I would oh, always yeah. mistake for her second one, which is <laughs> Kathleen Delaney, which is the one that I like. Kathleen Delaney ah. voiced her basically. Son yeah, Sonic X all the way through Sonic Free Riders is when is the first game where they did that. I've always been mixed on Kathleen Delaney's performance, but I think that's just because the first one I always reach for in my memory is 06, and no one sounds good in that game. Yeah. I don't have a strong enough memory for how she sounded in Shadow, how she sound in, sounded in Riders, uh, Riders Zero Gravity. Yeah, man, there were not actually that many games with Rouge in them between between two thousand four and twenty ten. I I definitely like Kathleen Delaney the most. Part of that is definitely nostalgia, but another part of that is just I don't feel like the other actresses really capture the role in a way that I like. Mm -hmm. Because like I understand wanting her to sound younger, but I feel like neither one really fits her character because she's very like able like she's not bad at her job she's very competent <laughs> at what she's doing and i think kathleen delaney's performance matches that the best um lenny manila's uh portrayal is probably my second favorite well definitely my second favorite um of the three that there are yeah just because um it has moments where it works better where she's kind of portrayed as being a little less mature about like wanting to have all of the the pretty gems and all the stuff like that um where they don't really do that that much once um kathleen takes over the role mm -hmm. so yeah there's there's aspects to uh there's aspects to the the evolution of the voice direction that ties directly into the evolution of the characters as they're explored in plot. Yeah. At the very least, Lanny Manella can do very little wrong. Yeah. It's funny how many different game franchises she's touched. Yeah. Lanny Manella is like the pocket knife of, um, <laughs> of character voice actors. Of character voice actors. Like, yeah, video game voices. Apparently... She is four of the Koopalings. Oh, yeah, I think I knew that somewhere. I think I knew that somewhere in the, in the depths of my brain. God, she does a lot. Oh Anyone God, listening to this, go look at uh, Lan Manella's uh, bibliography as a voice actor. It's, it's far-reaching. She's Ivy? I think I knew that also. 
That's wild. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. She is also, of course, the definitive Omocha voice, being the <laughs> perfect equilibrium of annoying and not annoying, which has not <laughs> been met since. If you know, if you know her for nothing else, is probably Lucas and Smash Brothers. Yeah, Lucas in every game that, uh, yeah, every Smash game that has Lucas. Um, she was Pit and Brawl. Oh yeah, it's true. She's Lynn also, which I just found out. Pretty good. I feel oh, like we have right. a. She was Luke. In, uh, Wait, in Professor really? Layton. Oh right, yeah. I feel like this is a very if this is a very low energy podcast. Uh, I personally apologize because it's been it's been an interesting weekend. Um, for me specifically, it's had a lot of computer trouble. Yeah, I I have been running, uh, back and forth halfway around my corner of Brooklyn to get my computer working in as quick a time frame as possible. Shoutouts to Micro Center. <laughs> uh, what, anything, any help you can get. Yeah. Um, which is going to make it a little difficult for me personally to, to jump in on, on the intricacies of the Sonic Adventure 2 story because I feel like I have knowledge of like very specific points but not like the the kind of groundwork that connects everything. I got I got a couple of things we could dive in on then. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's a bigger overarching talking point I want to bring up, but I I think I'll first start with like <laughs> you ever think about how SA two uh, has the greatest opening cutscene in the franchise. And some of the best closing cutscenes for uh, for the individual stories. That's true. Like the Dark Side story opening is fine, but like, good God, the scene for the Hero Side story was Sonic in the helicopter breaking out, breaking a piece off piece of it off, uh, shooting off like two great one liners, and then falling uh, several hundred feet. <laughs> to a to a steep San Francisco street and just uh streetboarding the whole way down the city. Like I, I extended that a little bit into the gameplay of City Escape, but like they're they're so closely related it's it it's seamless. Yeah. Uh the feeling of the end of that cutscene going into you controlling Sonic for the first time in the game. Yeah, definitely. It's it's fantastic. The energy of it, the music. Um even if, even if in the dub it opens up with, with some really confusing, uh, line voice overlap between the two people on the helicopter, it's fine. It still works really well. It sells Sonic's character great for the for the rest of, the, for the whole rest of the game. Yeah, thinking about it, I do actually like how both the hero and dark side stories just kind of drop you off in the action. Sonic oh, yeah. is choreographed super good, like. Like you said, it's probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, opening cutscene in the whole franchise. the The Eggman one is pretty good. It's good in pa like on paper. Um, it probably could have been boarded a little better, but like Eggman storming a big military base it's is a cool. little more. Yeah, it's it's a cool idea. It's just I think visually it's a little more high concept than what they're doing with Sonic. Because with hmm. Sonic, it's like it's pretty clear what is going on. Like Sonic is captured by the government and he's breaking out. Why is he captured by the government? You'll find out when <laughs> you're finished with the level while you're breaking out. So that like 
it works but why is what is eggman breaking into because it it's it just looks like machinery right there's mm-hmm. nothing really that necessarily defines it immediately as being the government because it just looks like something that eggman could have built except like it's not as exaggerated as like if you're going into sa2 from sa1 um as his base was there but it's still like it's just a bunch of metal machinery stuff you don't know what it is yeah and the other thing there is the government didn't exist as like an entity or concept in the sonic games before sa2 and it's mm-hmm. big to SA2's plot, but opening up in media res without like telling you too much about where Eggman is going into into his first level uh, can can make it seem kind of vague, like you were saying. Yeah, I was thinking I did like on a whim, just like watch some of them. Um, it was either last night or the night before. And what I thought. Uh, once it got to the cutscene after the level where he's um, tapping into the console, he narrates the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Which, I wonder how you would go about, like, presenting that better, because you can't tell right away what he's really, like, doing if he wasn't talking about it, which, like, it's fine that he's talking about it. I do think it's an important little, like, nugget of information that he says what the password is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I almost wonder like he's just talking aloud to himself <laughs> direct parallel to Tails cutscene following following City Escape yeah I feel like they could do a lot of work just by having some some good line of sight camera angles between Eggman and then cut to a shot of what he is looking at which is the terminal he's going to go type at yeah um, for sure cuts to uh cuts to the screen he's going to be looking at like little bits of setup of like oh he's trying to retrieve something uh that sort of stuff can be communicated pretty implicitly without it without it having to be spelled out without it having to be more detailed than that until it actually gets to the to showing the exact thing that he's getting yeah now uh the ending cutscenes <laughs> uh it's we were just watching the one for uh, Shadow and Sonic before their their second fight, before the end of the Hero and Dark Side stories. Yeah, and it still holds up pretty well. There are like maybe two spots, one for each character, where the the line reading is a little a little strange or a little hokey, but the whole thing is still sold pretty well. Like these feel like two characters who have grown to have a more nuanced understanding of each other than they expected to have uh Mm -hmm. through repeat encounters they didn't expect to have it it reads well and also i just i just like their dumb exchanges yeah it's it's like an actually good cutscene. i think i'm i'm here's the truth bomb that i'm dropping on this podcast tonight is um sonic having some semblance of like self-seriousness is cool and Sonic Adventure 2 does it the coolest. Yeah. Because later in the franchise, they do it too seriously. Like Sonic Event- Sonic <laughs> 06 is, is the franchise taking itself way too seriously in a way that's not fun. It's not fun the way Sonic 06 does it. But the way Sonic Adventure 2 does it is really fun because it's it's just 
more nuanced. It's like a more three-dimensional approach to the conflict going on. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous, but that's <laughs> the fun part of it. And like, they're taking it seriously because they want you to take it a little seriously because there's stakes to the characters. Like, the premises, the the premise of the story is obviously completely ridiculous. That's the idea. But, like, as long as you're getting invested, it doesn't matter how stupid it is. If you're hooked, you're hooked. They win. Yeah. <laughs> they win, you win, too. Yeah. And I I agree. I don't... It, it's, it's a big part of why I don't find a lot of the narratives and cutscenes, uh, the way they're executed in a lot of the subsequent Sonic games, to be as easy to get hooked on. It, yeah there's there's a real degree to which sonic and shadow and eggman and tails and and rouge to a degree uh are invested in the ongoing events because they all have specific character motivations that drive them um that like makes it either easy to relate to them as as onlookers or easier to understand what they want out of any given situation and latch onto uh latch onto the events as more character driven stories than than uh events driven because even though there's a there's a pretty strong aspect of um events driving the plot in SA2 it it feels like it's more important how the characters choose to react to events and how they react to each other in response to events yeah for um, sure i'm not sure how much that makes sense because there's there's this whole uh subset of thought in literary criticism and analysis of whether whether a plot is more motivated by things happening or characters making things happen or characters um causing things to happen in response to things happening and Sonic Adventure 2 is more in that third camp, I guess, mm -hmm. but it still leans a little bit in the second one of uh, characters having intertwining and contrasting and conflicting motivations. Uh, Sonic the whole time is just trying to figure out what's going on, and that's a very simple character motivation, but it, it functions really well in a lot of different plots and genres. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's it's a it's a perfectly fine building block for a character and and especially combined with his tendency to like get into a situation and then look for uh look for the simplest way out of it even if it's the most difficult or most flashy way yeah uh, pairs well with with like wanting to understand what's going on because he'll find himself in more and more situations like that where he can show off his other character traits. Eggman, the whole game, is trying to be in control of everything uh, in order to execute his plan. And the more things go out of his control, the more he steps in and stops things down. So it allows him to show off his character traits of um, wanting to dominate the situation, wanting to uh, be intimidating, and secure his victory by any means. Uh, basically and then shadow uh shadow is just man how do, how do you put what shadow wants in sa2 actually 
Huh. I don't know. <laughs> because... What the... I mean... He expresses one thing, uh, which is... Which is revenge for Maria. Yeah. Like, that's a fairly obvious one. It's at the forefront. It's what a lot of people think of because it's it's in uh, his first major character moment if you're playing the dark side story is him announcing yeah. that he's going to get revenge on the human race. Um, but, like, it's also kind of superficial because he is motivated by some sense of revenge and making right in the world. But I think a deeper motivation there is that he had a deeper motivational analysis is that he has some he has some want to to write something in the world or portray himself in a certain way, and it, he doesn't care who he associates with to do that. Yeah. Um. Because he has such a disdain for the for humanity as a result of his own personal trauma that he's like yeah i'll help you threaten them i'll i'll help you kill them and makes that last point like a little quieter i guess <laughs> but it's it's there cuz eggman doesn't really want to go through with his threat like multiple times in the story he seems like he does but the fact that he has a change of tune for the last story kind of indicates that the whole time he really only wanted to set up a world-level threat, uh, a world-crisis-level threat, just to make sure he got his way. Yeah. Uh, to have that in his back pocket. Um, not his back pocket. To have that uh, as something he can show, like, I could do this, and the fact that I could should let you give me the leeway I want to do whatever I want. But I'm not going to do it, because then what am I going to have? Yeah. Whereas Shadow is completely on board. Which is an interesting prospect, because they don't really play into the fact that, like, Eggman and Gerald are related mm -hmm. as, a, as a means of Shadow's motivation. Because Shadow could... Shadow's main... Um, he just mostly wants to get revenge at gun if anyone else or like the government yeah and like yeah he wants to take that out on the rest of humanity but there's not a clear state there's not a stated reason why eggman has to be that means to the end besides the fact that you know eggman freed him but it's never elaborated upon beyond that when at any point shadow could have just gone off on his own as he does and then just not come back yeah I, I went into placement. this whole thing with like a pretty confident stance, uh, and mm -hmm. I still feel it for Sonic and Eggman. But I'm not like the more I think about it, the less I'm sure that that Shadow has like a really clear, well-defined motivation as a two, or at least one that has much nuance or sheds light on the kind of person that he is. Yeah, he wants one thing. He seeks it out through any and all avenues that are in front of him. And it almost comes to pass and he's just standing there. Yeah. That hmm. That almost makes the the weird like I'll I'll you I'll grant you a wish 
thing that he puts on Eggman really weird and redundant. Like, <laughs> why doesn't he just immediately leave <laughs> when when he he gets freed? There's no reason for him to stick around at all and do anything besides just go around of his own volition. I think a lot of Shadow's presence in the game is really sold by his voice acting and and um like not writing as a in a general sense, but writing in terms of uh scripting. He's like, a really good Star Wolf. Oh yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Because like he really just like loves messing with Sonic. That like makes his day. So he's <laughs> he's so enamored by how how good Sonic is at like screwing him up, and Sonic's just like completely bewildered by the fact that he exists. That they're just like <laughs> they both have such like a weird chemistry in that way. Yeah, it's huh. There's like a there's a competition to it for sure. Ooh, competition is a great word to use. Actually, I yeah, think that like, that states a lot of like what their relationship is the whole game. Honestly, I I don't want most of this podcast to be like this is how it should have been, yeah. but like they should have had it so Eggman was the driving factor for most of the story, but once Shadow's own motivations outpace Eggman's, it should have been Shadow. Like, Egg, like you said, Eggman just wants everything under his control, but Shadow has a more personal and directed motivation. Even if it's just revenge, it's still clear what he wants to do with the power that he is being given by Eggman. Mm-hmm. That he te- well that he technically isn't explicitly being given by Eggman. He's just along for the ride because he also wants to see whatever it is the thing that Eggman wants to do, which like he just wants to take over the world. He doesn't want to kill anybody. He doesn't care. <laughs> as long as everyone's following his orders, then it doesn't matter what happens. Kind of tangential for that for a moment, but mm-hmm. it just flashed in my brain. There's a lovely contrast between not just the. Not just the way Eggman is portrayed in SA1 versus SA2, but the way he's portrayed in SA2 versus them covering anything related to SA2 in Sonic X. Yeah. Like, Sonic X, of course, is much more lighthearted as a whole, but uh, that tone absolutely bleeds into the Sonic Adventure 2-based arcs in in the show. Uh, and on on a micro level that can be partially attributed to mike pollock's performance as eggman and where he'd settled into the character at that time and what his voice direction was but dean bristow is so cutting in sa2 the whole game uh even even when eggman has these brief moments where his character falters a little bit because someone or something has gotten the better of him in a way that he just can't handle in that moment or he's scratching his butt uh, the voice performance the whole time makes it clear that he wants others to see him as a threatening figure, so he's going to keep being threatening. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really let that drop at any point. Which also adds nuance to the way Sonic sees him, because that just plays home how Sonic is just his antithesis. 
Oh yeah. Like, literally, he will never take him seriously. That's the bit. <laughs> uh, that's why he walks the in. Scene. Yeah, what? that's why he walks in and goes, "You've turned into a big time villain, Doctor." <laughs> yeah, because like, on some level, it it does sell Eggman's accomplishment, uh, going behind Sonic in this way. That's really dangerous to his friends and thus dangerous to him. Yeah. At the same time, Sonic is still uh playing him down as much as he can. Uh Yeah. I I like that Sonic almost uses that as a way to cope with the situation. At least that's how I've always read it. Um not even just in this scene in like any Sonic game. That part of the reason Sonic doesn't take Eggman seriously is because it makes it easier for him to handle the situation. It makes it easier for him to uh, shut mm-hmm. out any actual fear or worry or anxiety and just deal with what's happening. Yeah. It's a, it's a very... It's kind of fake it till you make it. I feel like... Because hmm. if you don't believe there's... Well, maybe that's not the right way to put it. If you... If you continually make yourself believe that there's not a threat in the room, then you're fine. Yeah. You can handle anything. Like, I definitely do. I definitely understand. I just feel like with his specific portrayal in SA2, I'm having trouble, like, seeing where that weakness would play in. Because if anything, I would see that being, like, his, 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 like, character flaw would be his temper. I don't I don't think Sonic and SA2 would necessarily like break down in a way. He would just kind of fly off the handle, which does uh end up giving you a very toxic Sonic, which is uncharacteristic <laughs> for him depending on how you spin it, but I think I'm it's even... still Go ahead. No, you were still talking. It's I guess it's still interesting. Because, like, paired with Ryan Drummond's performance, it's, like, a side of him that we don't normally see. Because he's just constantly getting bothered by, like, the (laughs) cops. And he straight up says that. Yeah, that's true. I'm seeing, like, my reading less from a perspective of he could break down and more of a... This is the kind of person he's willed himself to be by this Mm. point. Like, it's it's not a character weakness. It's yeah. I, I I'm not trying to read a character weakness into it. I'm trying to read like how someone becomes the kind of person Sonic the Hedgehog is. Okay. It's more like he's been doing this so long that that's just his mindset. Yeah, because I think that's definitely very similar to his portrayal in like the movie, where it yeah. is very upfront that that's just like that is actively. Um, like a front that he's putting on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm not even sure if I'd want to see that angle explored too much. Yeah. Uh, in games. It's. I feel like there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but it just it also feels unnecessary because like it does add an additional dimension to him. But like I don't know if I need it or if it. Oh yeah. The temper is funny I'm... though. Yeah, I'm perfectly content with him just not always being, like, laid back, power of friendshipy, which is, like, immediately what Heroes does in the very next game. Yeah. 
I like him having like a limit to his patience, which is true to his character, even in the old games. Like that's always been the bit. It's something they did well in the storybook games, even contrasting with Unleashed coming out between them, which was a much more laid back Sonic most of the time. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to bring up about SA2 story is the government, which I kind of touched on before, as it's it didn't exist in the Sonic U- the Sonic universe or its portrayal in any of the games. They're here uh, now. <laughs> before SA2, and now it's here. Uh, as well, it's it's a lot of things. I get the feeling that uh, at the very least, gun, but kind of. Uh, the idea of a governmental institution at all for Sonic was introduced in SA2 to give Eggman something to fight against primarily mm-hmm. because he does need something because Sonic's not out here making his own robots for Eggman to bop. And he's definitely, they're definitely not going to make a game where you play as Eggman shooting a bunch of woodland creatures. Um, that's it's a little much. <laughs> Yeah. Even even for the time, even for the period in gaming as a whole, that would have been a little much. Yeah. Uh, I, but I, I think I, it's like I think, I think they they're... wanted to have a sort of um like they wanted to have some sort of faceless government for like the two specific major events that happen, which is Sonic breaking out of the helicopter and being chased by the government like in just a nebulous he's being chased by the cops way. Like mm. he he's he's being mistaken for Shadow, which has the town's cops angry at him. And for Shadow's backstory. So they could pin um, what happened to Maria on something. And then it right. snowballed so ridiculously out of control that they had to have a president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's correct also. I, I, I'd like to speculate on... <laughs> on how Sonic Adventure 2's plot formed to begin with, given uh, the early trailer we have for the game that only showed Sonic, Knuckles, and Eggman as playable characters. And clearly clearly, at some point after that, they got enough backlash for not showing Tails at all that they were like, we gotta do something about this, huh? And made Shadow more prominent. Maybe made Rouge at that time, if not made her more prominent. And then... Uh, added Tails as a playable character who was probably also in the plot beforehand so it mm-hmm. could have been they took three characters who were non-players um, in terms of gameplay but major players in the plot and were like okay there you go uh, control them now but I like to speculate on where Sonic Adventure 2's plot may have been at that stage because that's that's where I'm coming from with the whole thing of Gun being introduced to give Eggman something to fight um, yeah, I think you're definitely right that it was integral to the conception of those other events. I have to wonder if those events were conceived after like the necessity of giving Eggman enemies to face. Uh, yeah, it really depends on if SA2, if SA2's development started more with the narrative or more with the gameplay. It's hard to tell with that era because it was such a narrative driven period for for major video games especially coming off the heels of Sonic Adventure 1 which was 
much more about its plot than any previous game in the franchise, etc., etc. Yeah. This sort of thing is talked about everywhere, but I just like to think about it. Um, it's endlessly fascinating to me that Sonic Adventure 2 did not start with Shadow intended as a playable character. That is an interesting approach to it that I've never really considered. Just like that they were literally just going to be the only three characters and they turned NPC characters into full characters. Because Knuckles has no reason to be in the story. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you think about it. I wonder I wonder what their angle was to begin with. That's also part of why I feel like the plot might have come secondary to the decision to have three playable characters. Yeah. Because people have already talked about how the three gameplay styles, we talked about this, the three gameplay styles in SA2 were direct offshoots of the three most distinct and relatively successful gameplay styles present in in Sonic Adventure 1. Um, yeah. In terms, at least, of what made them distinct in terms of control or objective uh, without being fishing and without being Amy. Yeah. Uh, and if that was their angle to begin with in developing Sonic Adventure 2, then I could totally see the, the story coming a bit second to that and them having to decide a bunch of things like, uh, again, who does Eggman fight? Uh, what is Knuckles doing? What does he get out of the plot? And what what wraps him in in what would be otherwise just another conflict between Sonic and Eggman again? Yeah. And if going off that, uh, it was just those three characters to begin with, and then when they added Tails, they were like... Uh, we're going to we're not going to uh, we're not going to dedicate development time and resources to developing a fourth gameplay style for this uh let's split up the levels that we have between between characters we'll make tails eggman's equivalent etc etc at that point maybe shadow became more prominent or shadow existed already I'd like to look into that sometime, actually. I wonder how much developer interview stuff there is on, on like, the order of events in Sonic Adventure 2's development when Shadow was conceived. Yeah. Because I also can't shake the feeling that, like, Rouge also isn't very vital to the story of Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah. Mostly because her motivations are weird and unclear. <laughs> Her motivations are intentionally muddled for a while uh, with with more superficial motivations. And then when the less superficial motivations are revealed, it almost comes out of left field and then yeah. uh, again muddles what she does for the rest of the game because it feels like she should be making different decisions for her position. Mm -hmm. She goes from... Uh, she goes from wanting to collect gems, which, who knows, in the context of SA2, could have been entirely a front before it ended up becoming a major defining part of her character in other games yeah. and appearances. She goes from that to being a government operative spy, uh, trying to collect data on a program they already had data on. Presumably. Yeah. 
unless like unless all of the data on um on the bio lizard and the ultimate life form project was just left on the arc for uh you know 50 years that's something i, I don't know if they touch on is was the arc just in orbit or floating aimlessly through space for five decades i mean i guess right like where else would it be yeah and just left alone that whole time there like are some strange gaps in SA2's plot. Yeah. It's unfortunate that, like, a lot of it, a lot of the gaps in the plot tie into the arc and the characters who are aboard it. Because it's kind of really pivotal for the overall story. Yeah. And it's, you mentioned... it's funny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Nah, uh, you go ahead. I've been talking a bunch. It is. It is funny how important it is there and how unimportant it becomes for the rest of the series. <laughs> it's important for one more game than never again. Yeah. And it took them four years to get there. Oh boy. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about early on when we started talking about SA2 for, for this podcast of how much, how much SA2 laid down for the franchise and how much of it how much of it was kept and how much it was left behind mm. the setting is part of that the gameplay is part of that the presentation is part of that and when it comes to the setting sa2 feels like even more of an outlier because there's just one other game shadow the hedgehog that follows up on any of the locales um direct plot and plot consequences of SA2. That's kind of it. Yeah, and it only does it like retroactively. It doesn't really progress anything. Yeah. Um like I Not guess it's interesting to bring up like the black arms and the and how shadow was created, but like did we really need to know? <laughs> it yeah, it wasn't really a question people were asking. And they never came back anyway, so Yeah. And also Shadow the Hedgehog wasn't really answering any questions people were asking. Yeah. I have one other thing, which mm. is uh, talking about my favorite little theory that I mentioned last episode, but I guess I could, uh, I guess there might be more detail I could go on or have more of a branching discussion from, which is uh, the theory that Sonic being mistaken for Shadow, at least from the government's perspective, uh, was absolutely a cover-up to keep people from knowing about Project Shadow, uh, which I feel is substantiated absolutely enough just by the fact that Shadow was sealed away in a government facility. Yeah. Just the fact that they knowingly have him, are doing nothing with him, aside from presumably keeping him under some level of monitoring, and making sure people don't know about him. I I like this theory. Um... Although if if it like if they were to take this and like run with it, then they would have to give the government more presence, and that would basically mean that they do have to acknowledge that the government is the true antagonist in SA two, uh, and not like a Robotnik of any kind. I want that game. True. I would love that. 
Because it's not like SA2 doesn't already have a pretty strong foundation for an anti-authoritarian Sonic stance. Yeah, for sure. It would be great if they leaned into that more. Agree. It's, it's like already a big chunk of the basis for Sonic's antagonistic relationship with Eggman is that mm -hmm. he's anti-authoritarian. He's also a friend to the environment, but yeah. he's also an anti-authoritarian. So, I don't know, I think that explains a lot of why Dr. Eggman is the kind of character who would be a villain in the Sonic franchise specifically. Yeah. It's... Hmm. Because this is making me think of how... This is, like, somewhat related. It's mostly just related to Eggman's character. Hmm. They... When I read the Sonic and Mega Man crossover, it portrayed Eggman and Wily as being similar in motive, but um, very different in philosophy. Where yeah. Eggman will do whatever he needs to to meet that end goal to a cartoonish degree, whereas Dr. Wily has morals. And I can understand where that's coming from, but I don't necessarily know if it's true. I want because... you to keep talking on this, but I do want to interject that part of that for sure is just because of the way Eggman was being depicted in the comics specifically and like yeah. the legacy that his writing had uh, for yeah. better and worse. For sure. Because like, I think if Eggman is supposed to just be like an entrepreneur guy, like he's just he is a villain because he will go to any capital go through any capitalistic means to see his end which includes you know decimating forests and kidnapping woodland creatures and all that mm -hmm. so to an extent he would be a quote-unquote ally of the government until that the government stops being an ally with him and he becomes on his own yeah. So I don't see why he, like they do actually portray him in this way whenever there's a greater evil where he just kind of like buckles and <laughs> and preserves the world for the greater good but also kind of his good because he he wants the world it's not like he wants to destroy it. Um but I guess that's an angle that I want to see more of is like a somewhat realistic at least like a grounded Eggman, yeah. where like he's smart enough to recognize that, which that does require more ulterior uh, structure to the world that may not be necessary, like the government. Mm -hmm. It's funny because there's such real groundwork for the kind of character you're describing in terms of real-life people who suck. Yeah. Which is why it would be interesting to see it explored in Sonic. That's that's the way you add the nuance to their characters is that you just do that. But for whatever reason, they don't. Even though I feel like it's it's like on the wall, it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to miss. <laughs> it's it's not even subtext. Yeah, it's text. Maybe that's why. Honestly, realist possible talk. Maybe that's why the characters are so flat now. They're just not seeing that specifically. Like, they're just taking the characters removed from the 
thematic element of the entire franchise. Oh, which is yeah. why nothing feels like it fits anymore. No, I think that's an accurate reading. <laughs> it's they they tried to quote unquote go back to uh, like thematic roots in Sonic Lost World uh, by bringing back the egg capsules and having Sonic's goal literally just being busting animals out of Eggman's confinement again. Mm -hmm. uh, and then go on to whatever other plot details they wanted to do because they sure wanted to add new villains who aren't interesting and have no depth. But yep. like they tried to have that kind of groundwork and it didn't stick at all. And it also didn't mean anything for the plot of that game. And it also didn't mean anything for the setting of that game. And it also didn't mean anything. Yeah. So they also, really have disengaged with that whole angle, which Sonic's themes were built on. Yeah. Also, if you were to apply that specific theming to Sonic Lost World and give characters like the Deadly Six um, more of a subtext, given you know their context on the Lost Hex, mm -hmm. uh, you kind of get a really not great um theme going on there you kind of don't want subtext where it's about um <laughs> eggman controlling things that are native to a, a new area and you yeah, have to stop kinda... them <laughs> yeah uh there's two layers to that one is the thing you just mentioned which is um yeah. uh literally positioning slaves as the antagonists uh yeah. but then the other thing is if they were overt about it it would really mess with Eggman's marketability as a character. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know... I mean, the whole thing is that Sonic Lost World's plot is super ill-conceived as a whole, and adding any real depth to what is already there subtextually makes it worse. Yep. So they just shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. One it of their is... villain characters is just the girl. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of their characters are just the adjective, like specifically yeah. the one singular adjective in like a bad Saturday morning cartoon way. Yeah, it just bothers me so much specifically that like a game that came out in 2014 for a for a beloved video game franchise, one that already has it, maybe not uh, uh, a large amount, but at least a solid chunk of enjoyable, distinct female characters is like, yeah, yeah. um... Uh, alongside the old person and the fat person, which is not an archetype, and uh, and the emo person will have the girl, you know, the gender. Yeah, that's that's a personality. Yeah, we designed these characters. You'll see them in the Olympics. Don't worry. <laughs> You'll see them in the Olympics. You'll see them in Sonic Forces uh, Speed Battle. You could tell they got really inspired by the Koopalings. Yeah, it's like, it's very transparent, and they took it in such an odd direction. I don't even like that the Koopalings only has one girl, and that she's also pretty vain in most depictions. Yeah, honestly. But at least they're not, like, overt about it. You know that it, hmm, actually, okay, hold on. <laughs> I would say, if the Koopalings could talk, it would just be the same, However, they do talk in several games, and they're actually completely inconsistent with their characterizations. Yeah, yeah it's also part of it. It's that um, 
we've only had the deadly six for one game it was a bad one they talked a lot and they shouldn't have and it colored every appearance they had subsequently the first time the koopaling showed up and the second time and the third time they said nothing uh and it was fine and it, all we had to go on was what they looked like and what they did and we could project anything we wanted onto them so then when they started talking it didn't matter as much yeah but you can't go back that easily on the deadly sex they've tried they're trying in the idw comics right now and all the people i've heard talk about them are saying yeah they're better than they are in the games i i, I still have to read it to believe it myself but like yeah. they can't be that much better right like on a fundamental level the the associations they have design wise and uh interpersonally as a group predispose them to be uninteresting yeah i think yeah i definitely agree i think it's also like it, it makes me think of how several sonic games of late have added totally new characters that are unrelated to anything else in a like just complete vacuum new characters mm -hmm. and i feel like they are like the epitome of that where they're like they're from a place that does not matter anymore the, their their origin is a game it's not a place <laughs> they will never go back to the lost hex yeah it, it exists there to be a video game it's it's nothing else so like the deadly six especially more than like infinite who's like a one-off who's never going to come back anyways they're so removed i don't see the value in bringing them back i just don't want to see them again like the way you make use of these characters is by using them better. I don't want you to. <laughs> That's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. I'm not interested in a more nuanced Deadly Six performance. I'm just not interested in the Deadly Six. I'm just not interested in the Deadly Six. It. I was thinking for a second, they sure did try to make the Lost Text matter to some degree by like having it come back in Runners, like all the levels in Runners being uh, levels from from the Lost Hex and Lost World, and then uh, the most recent thing being in Team Sonic Racing where they have Sky Road, but uh, Sky Road in that game doesn't even look like Sky Road in in Lost World, so it doesn't matter. Isn't it, like, literally over Rooftop Run? It's just, like, the yeah. Rainbow Road of that game? It is. Uh, there was a period where I thought the music they had for the Sky Road track was a remix of the Sky Road music in Lost World, and it's not. Well, there you go. Nothing to do with it. It's a completely original track, and I like it. Uh, but what was the point of having the tying-in name? It is more literal now. <laughs> yeah. Man, Lost World is boring. At least we have Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah, that's true. I think... I, we had like a good tangent there like even though it was completely <laughs> unrelated to sonic adventure 2 i think it's interesting talking about the importance of the the greater anti-authoritarian nature of sonic mm -hmm. as a whole and how it's kind of fallen apart because when you mentioned that like oh yeah they went back to their roots for sonic lost world i immediately thought didn't they do that with colors and the <laughs> reason why i thought that is because that is more thematically appropriate because it's at least more like um it has more of like an ecological element to it like 
what Eggman is doing is basically the plot of Sonic CD, but bigger. Yeah. And I will say that up until this moment, I forgot that his like big evil beam is mind control and not just like sucking the energy out, which would be better. So like the only part that's like really just zeroes in on the theme is Planet Wisp, which is probably why everyone likes Planet Wisp. Um, that in the music. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> it also, um, it's funny the the parts of the plot that tie in most of that theme in terms of like cutscenes anyway don't even happen in Planet Wisp. Uh, yeah. The the bits where the game focuses on the fact that Eggman is uh, confining aliens like he's done with uh, with small animals before happen in Tropical Resort at the top of the game and then at asteroid coaster which most players will uh likely play last uh just because the game has a really clear progression even though it doesn't force you to play every zone in a specific order Mm -hmm. so you get that little bit at the beginning that eggman's sucking the power out of these little aliens and then you get a little bit at the end where you see uh, the exact process by which he's doing that and how scary it is after you've spent four zones uh, with mostly lighthearted tone um, of just Eggman making quips over the PA, Sonic and Tails making worse quips uh, to each other and about each other uh, before and after bosses. And you just kind of forget that the Wisps are anything other than Sonic's new little friends who give him cool powers that you enjoy doing. Yeah. And then they matter again for the plot. And so that ecological theme doesn't come up much in in Sonic Colors like overall feel even though it's important to the text. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's something it's also... the reason I don't really associate it much with Sonic Colors even though it's true of the game. Yeah, that's fair. It's also why they're later appearances in other games makes no sense whatsoever yep doesn't matter a lick i like that they tried to explain it uh in in most recent titles i think it was like team sonic racing or the game that came hmm. one one game since colors tried to explain what oh is runners runners in one of its story sequences uh explained that the wisps liked sonic and his world enough that they were like let's let's go hang out down there instead um and that's all the explanation you get yep it's it's so strange this would be a better conversation for like a a sonic colors episode it's so weird how they keep bringing the wisps back because they're so thematically tied to the plot of colors that like it's so weird bringing them back like they're just power-ups they're not like First of all, that's what the shields are for. Like, not that you can't have power-ups other than the shields, but the shields exist as, like, non-specific power-ups that you can have in whatever environment because mm-hmm. they're just Sonic-y things that are there. And they it's give like, Sonic abilities. Yeah, those are the... That's, like, the immediate equivalent to something like a power pellet or, like, a fire flower. Just, like, something like that. That's, like, around. And it doesn't really have any, like, thematic purpose for being there. It's just there because that's all it needs to be. But, like, when you have the Wisps and you tie them so closely to the story of the game that they debut in, you bring them back outside of that? 
doesn't make any sense. I'd like to posit something that's kind of funny. Um, mm. And I I will laugh my butt off if this trend continues into whatever game they, they show off next and put out next. But from Sonic Colors to, uh, to Lost World to Forces, there's this interesting thing going on where they introduce an element of the Sonic world that's very tied to what is exactly happening in that game only. And then are like, uh, hey, that thing from the last game, we brought it back. Uh. They did that with the Wisps. They did that with the Deadly Six, or at the very least, from from Lost World to Forces with Zavok, and then into Team Sonic Racing also. Man, that's, that's a whole other thing. We're getting way off track, but God, I hate that Zavok's in Team Sonic Racing. He shouldn't be anywhere. Yeah. Not the least of which because I hate him, but because... Eggman enslaved him and his friends? Why Why is he helping him? What happened? I get you wanted more villains. This is not how you do a villain team. Uh. This is how you get those like old school cartoons where there's a bunch of different villains who are not working together, but they are all problems for the main character. And sometimes they come together but most of the time, they have different means and ends, and end up in each other's uh, in each other's ways. And that's more interesting, I think, for the kinds of villains that Sonic has set up. Yeah, Sonic needs a, a Sinister Six. I don't care about that Deadly Six. Yeah. Give me, give me the Sonic villain team that crumbles uh, ten days after forming. Yes. Because of power struggles and. Uh, hatred of each other's uh, motives and uh, <laughs> ways of doing things. IDW is kind of doing that. There is a, a villains uh, miniseries that is basically that's true. that. That's true. Which... Although, it's more like friends of mutual hate for <laughs> Robotnik. So it's it's, you know. Ah uh, man, I wish Friends of Mutual Hate had a better, like, catchy acronym to it, because it's a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs> it's making me think of Friends of the Table, because I'm watch I'm still listening to watching. I'm still listening to uh their sixth season partisan, and there's a there's a faction slash group in their in their game named the Friends of Yeah, the Friends of Gurs of Rock. And like <laughs> Friends of Mutual Hate has a similar cadence to it. That's that's nice, it's good. Yeah, I. To, if we were to tie it all back right now in a nice <laughs> little bow, I think that's why. the The thematic element of everything makes Sonic Adventure two interesting because it is the progr- It's the logical progression of like the base level Sonic theming, where it's like okay. Uh, Eggman is like a rogue entrepreneur capitalist dude who's just making humongous cities or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he's just making a bunch of robots and he has his factories. He's not the only one. <laughs> right. And they are all enabled by this by the government. So the greater evil is not Eggman. Right. Even if he's the most notable one to act on the things that he wants, that he's using 
the societal system we all operate under to achieve yeah. because it allow it expressly allows that to happen even if he's the only one acting on it especially in dangerous ways he's still not the source of it yeah which sa2 kind of it like it it didn't touch upon that per se that's like the whole gun plot is like corrupt government thing but they don't necessarily tie it in a way that matters to robotnik and his motives <laughs> because like the way you have that happen while continuing to escalate robotnik as the main villain is by making his like goal of eggman land change alongside the landscape of the franchise and the thematic element of it like his current means to an end are like robots and stuff and in sa2 that's all of his grandfather's stuff which is accurate to that statement that that's a different means to the same end he, he's not as focused on robots yeah so that's how you keep him interesting is that you keep that maintained goal and then when there's things that threaten that that aren't sonic that's how you have the, that's how you create a greater threat and a mutual interest exactly exactly that's something that the archie comics at the very least once ian flynn took over uh, started doing really well yeah it was like good reasons for eggman and sonic to be working for a mutual cause and then for eggman to turn right back around as soon as it's taken care of yeah something else i want to bring up that i was just kind of thinking about uh especially with you <laughs> uh just now mentioning like the government's involvement as a as a greater evil in SA2 even though it doesn't tie into Eggman's arc or plot and doesn't really get resolved a lot doesn't get resolved actually at the end of SA2 same for SA1 but like whatever SA1 has a weird tone to it it's kind yeah. of strange that it ends in a in a decimated flooded city um but Sonic Adventure 2's tone is much more consistent than SA1's on that front. It deals with heavier subject matter and stakes. And the fact that the game ends with, like, Eggman is just, well, I guess that all happened. I'm going to try to figure out some kind of moral from it, and then I'm not going to talk to any of you for six months. Um, and then leaves, and no one says anything, and Shadow dies and no one reaches to to pick up what he left behind in terms of uh, resolving the real issue, which is that the government stormed his place of living in space, killed his sister, and then wrecked a bunch of stuff so that people wouldn't learn about the stuff Gerald was doing. Um, like, that doesn't end up going anywhere. There's no repercussion for any of those events, because what gets resolved is the space laser and nothing else. Sonic Adventure 2 is not worried about anything else coming to a head like that. So, Shadow dies, Eggman's not doing the space laser anymore, I guess everything's fine, is what SA2 says. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's bad on its own. I think it's a little dissatisfying, but mm -hmm. what makes it worse is that no game, not even Shadow the Hedgehog, picked up on that um, as a space they can use to, or let me rephrase that, pick that up as 
subject matter and plot, they can continue to resolve those issues in the world. Yeah. And that's I... part of why we both believe that Sonic as a franchise should have more of an anti-authoritarian, anti-government uh, corruption stance, like, overtly, because yeah. it's a demonstrable theme of SA2, and then it's gone. Yep. It gets weird in Shadow. Like, that's their only other opportunity that they took to explore that, and they don't do it. No. Like, they do it in a weird way. They also make it a lot more... They do that thing that a lot of fiction, Western fiction, American fiction, does in regards to racism and bigotry mm -hmm. and corruption of, like, oh, it was actually the fault of this one person, and at that, it was a misunderstanding. <laughs> That's more the direction Shadow the Hedgehog takes with, with the entirety of Shadow's backstory in SA2. Yeah. They also just wanted to take Shadow and put him in Independence Day, so... <laughs> they sure did you know i feel like that gets overlooked a little bit in in discussions of shadow the hedgehog because it takes all too much effort to get to the point where you realize that's what's happening like God. the uh the alien invasion bit is 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 there up front and center but like the the entirety of how shadow the hedgehog is kind of just independence day doesn't really settle in until you're at the end. Yeah. They but don't even have any fun with it. No, they don't have any fun with that. Man. <laughs> they have very little fun in that game. Yeah. I think it's important to to specify that, like, in that era, like, his, his character crescendos in, like, a maturity. But it's, like, a very boring maturity like an unsalted <laughs> cracker like i understand that there's like a lot of nuance and interesting things going on in 06 with shadow but it's like you're dumping that in this game all at once like good for even... him but come on <laughs> i would even say a lot of the stuff that i personally find interesting about shadow in 06 is subtextual because yeah. it's all based on an informed understanding of where he already was in the games mm. prior and not anything that's in 06 on its own. Honestly, that's probably why Shadow feels better in 06 and why Sonic feels substantially worse in 06 is because yeah. we all know the characters already. And then, Sha and then Silver just gets off on the wrong foot. Yeah. He gets better. He gets better. You know, aside from the times when he was voiced by Quentin Flynn, we don't worry about that. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Shadow shouldn't have died. Ain't that the cap to it all? Shadow really should not have died. He shouldn't have died. The fact that he died and, and like... Okay, it's not... <laughs> There's like several layers here. <laughs> Let's go by layer by layer. The the outermost layer is that his character arc after SA2 is stupid. But it's stupid because they gave him amnesia. Yeah. And they gave him amnesia 
because he died. He shouldn't have died. It doesn't make sense for his character arc at all. <laughs> like, why Why would he sacrifice himself? Like, I don't care about the functional reason. He does it deliberately. <laughs> He's, like, he, he doesn't run out of rings. He just dies because he wants to die. He's fulfilled his purpose in his own eyes, which is stupid. Like, yeah. Sonic's whole character is the opposite of that he should have grabbed him and said uh no that's not yeah. how it works yeah like shadow i guess at the end of sa2 is looking for i don't know not like an easy way out but like he's done what he's done and he's ready to not do anything else because he thinks that's enough but yeah. it's it's like you said in, in sonic's voice that's that's not how it works. There's always more you can do with yourself. You're not yeah. defined by you're not defined by the singular event in your life that you've now resolved. Yeah, it almost feels like they they don't explicitly make it about this, but it it could definitely be taken this way as like a romanticizing death thing as like oh, he's with Maria now. But yeah. like he still didn't have to die. All he did was stop the arc from crashing into earth which he is partially responsible for <laughs> technically he didn't even fulfill maria's wish yeah. he just undid his misinterpretation of it oh that's funny and sad yeah that coloring makes the ending so much worse but it's true yeah like i like it in theory the ending not specifically him dying like mm -hmm. Everything about everything except that I think is fine and good and resolute, but there was no reason to kill him. He should have been kept alive to continue living and continue his character arc because that's if you even wanted to remove it from being out of his own hands, that's what Maria would have wanted. Like, there's too many ways to justify it, like, there's even dumb superficial ones. It just doesn't make sense because having him be a one-off character is like, okay, fine. And they brought him back because he was popular. Sure. But like, <sighs> I take death very seriously in video games, but like not particularly for a personal reason, but because I think there's a weight to having a character die because then that character is not, around anymore and i don't like it when things try and get around that um mm -hmm. i am here as as the local Aerith fan so i think i I know a, lot, a bit about this it's the same problem as comics yeah like whatever writers are in the writer room are like we can make people feel something if we kill this character off and then the yeah. next day they're like we could do a lot if we had this character still yeah, it. His death would have been meaningful if it made sense. Like, I'm surprised more people don't approach it from the angle of it personally making sense because it doesn't. Everyone just harps on, like, why did he die? He still had rings. Sonic was mm. fine. I don't care about that because, again, he did it on purpose. Right. It's more that it says more about 
how they wanted to approach the event that they didn't write in Sonic doing anything about it. Yeah, that's it's it's honestly also out of character that he didn't. They just wanted everyone to be able to give a eulogy for him. Yep. Which is weird. Characters that knew him for like a week. Exactly. Couple days, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Eggman knew him for a week, I think. Yeah. And like, at the end of the day, you mentioned this, I think, in a previous recording we did, but Shadow would just have a much, much more satisfying character arc if he was forced to confront his own mortality and put in a put in a situation where he had to keep going despite like now lacking the hooks to the life he had before confinement yeah and it would make him more enjoyable a character to follow honestly if they kept him alive and made him not lose his memories for Shadow. Like, if Shadow the Hedgehog still happened as a game, premise and all, it would be more interesting because it would be framed as, like, a past versus future thing. Yeah. Like, oh my do, God. You, do you stay hooked on the things that made you who you are, whether you have any personal attachment to that or not? Or do you stick with the things that like I guess reshaped your person yeah like the things that changed you for the better I guess are you kidding me that's such a more interesting premise than hero versus villain yeah like if you play the game you know so <laughs> yeah it, it's, exactly. it's just an excuse to let shadow be whatever the player wants because they recognized he was popular but didn't want to do anything committal with him again <laughs> and yet and yet they still want to have their cake and eat it. They still they want to be able to eat their cake and then still have cake to eat after they've eaten it. Um, yep. By having the final story in Shadow the Hedgehog where he gets a definitive resolution to the arc that they manufactured out of nothing for him. Yep. And then puts him in a firm nowhere space where he can still be anything. And then he decided to be a cop, I guess. Yeah, kind of sucks, huh? Yeah, wow. Uh, kind of related to me bringing up Friends of the Table earlier. Listening to Friends of the Table has made me realize how many, how many characters in fiction are just cops, even if they're never explicitly called that. Because... Uh, <laughs> Minor spoilers for for season four of Friends of the Table, Twilight Mirage. I guess there's a there's a small group of characters in in that season where it seems like they're mostly doing good things, right from the from the player character's perspective, from the way the camera is framing everything. But then, like several episodes in, uh, one character chooses to interact with an NPC in a certain way that's that's very like. Uh, I need you to give me this information. I I need it so bad I'm going to start threatening. I'm going to make these kinds of demands. Um, and it doesn't feel out of the ordinary until the GM, Austin Walker, is like, man, you guys are all such cops, huh? And everyone at the table is like, yeah, we're kind of playing cops. <laughs> and uh -huh. it just, that little moment kind of made me realize 
there's a lot of characters in fiction that are just like that that are yeah. uh very controlling assertive of their their power um uh interested in in making scenarios go a certain way for themselves uh at the behest of others who are still framed as the heroes the protagonists of the story and they're just cops like they're just uh they're just getting information on on other people they're uh gathering tools they can use to gain more control on other people or groups they're stomping out resisting forces and they're they're just whole motivation is keeping a, a system running which really puts eggman in a weird spot yeah he's really not much of a cop he's a self-cop he's a self-cop he's got he's got his own subsystem that's completely dependent on the existing societal system but also not related to it yeah. that he needs to keep running and that's all he cares about yep ain't that funny See, now they have to make Sonic Adventure 3, and this has to be the plot. Please, God. I'm not even a Sonic Adventure 3 person. They just have to do that now. I was about now. to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I... I would like some kind of follow-up. They don't even have to call it Sonic Adventure 3. I just want them to care about these specific things again. If they really wanted to go nuts... They should make Sonic Adventure 3 and have it be an immediate follow-up to Sonic Adventure 2. And that like would be Shadow cool. Crashlands, and he just lives and has his memories, and there's just nothing. Like he's just Oh alive. my god. I talk a lot on social media with friends about wishing Pokemon was more willing to retcon. Uh, and that's for a completely other reason, but just like... <laughs> now Sonic the Hedgehog has entered that same frame, uh, that same yeah. area in my mind of like, I really wish they'd be willing to just... They don't even do that much continuity, but the little continuity they try to do doesn't work. It, try, just go back. You're allowed to go back. You can you can do things over again. You can tell people we've decided this stuff didn't happen. Mortal Kombat did it well. Mortal Kombat came back and was like, we're going to do a time travel plot where we invalidate the last seven games that came out in the franchise because we want to distance ourselves from them. Get ready God. for Mortal Kombat 9. New stuff is happening and it's better. And other franchises can do that too. Yeah. Uh, see, like, I wouldn't even be opposed. But Okay, here's my one problem, is that by doing that, there would be even more weird timeline stuff going on than there already is. And there's exactly one entire weird timeline thing, and that's apparently too much for some people. Huh. A lot of people are really resentful of the whole two worlds thing also. That too. I mean, if you if you went back and just did like Sonic Adventure 3 and it's literally just a follow-up, immediate follow-up that retcons everything subsequent, that would technically go away too because you would have an opportunity to like do something about that. And like if you never did anything that would demonstrate that anyway, it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. The other thing there is that the entire uh Sonic's universe is two separate worlds thing has only ever been talked about in interviews 
and the like it doesn't even have a bearing on the games individually because some of them take place in one world quote unquote and some take place in the other and you just kind of implicitly know but you're never asked to examine the relationship between them or ask how sonic goes from one to another if they're related at all if they're even in the same continuity if it's the same sonic any of these things like they're not worried about that but yeah. they still want to keep this idea up which i'd like... be down for a for a retcon it i i don't want a reboot at this point i would be down for a retcon yeah for sure like i think the only game that has any semblance of a demonstration of like oh this is explicitly the other world like not even the relationship between the two but complete admittance that there is a second world is forces because like there's animal people mm-hmm. and now they have their own cities and towns and that's ex- like completely separate from like station square and places where humans live Whereas in every single game prior, you could assume that it was just the one universe, the one planet, you're just on different parts of it. Like, there's no reason why Sonic Colors can't take place just above the world that is Sonic Unleashed. And Sonic Unleashed is obviously going to be the same world as, like, Sonic Adventure 2 and Sonic Adventure. It's just that those specific locales aren't explicitly there. Like, you're Mm -hmm. not going to them in the game. I wouldn't mind the implication that... What's it called in Sonic Unleashed? The not New York. Empire City. I wouldn't mind the the implication that Empire City is at least on the same continent as uh, Station Square or uh, Central City. Yeah. I guess Station Square can be anywhere. Um, Yeah. but, But definitely Central City, since... They're both inspired by real United States locations. The real thing is that Eggman Land in Unleashed is actually the remains of Station Square because they never oh, rebuilt it. Oh my god. That's real. That's actually real. I'll buy that. For a dollar? Uh, I'll buy that for uh, 15 to $20 used at GameStop. Okay, because you can't buy it for rings. Yeah, I, I also don't have enough anyway. I've only well, got I mean, one, they're... and it came with uh, it came with Sonic Mania. Okay, but I mean, they're not currency, so... Uh, I mean, at least they are. Oh, you're, you're making a Sega Mandates joke, aren't you? Oh... Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Sonic. I'm Crap. You can find me on Twitter at Crappy Blue. I'm Mitt. You can find me on Twitter at Mitsumi Mario. And we'll see you in the next zone when we've uh, passed Act 3 and made a good future in Sonic Adventure 2 and go on to whatever the heck we're going to talk about next. Thank you for sticking it with us. <laughs>